Jesus Christ, that they would embrace the Messiah that has been sent from this line of David, and Lord, that they would indeed be saved. Do this, we pray, O Lord our God. And Father in heaven, we do pray also for, um, uh, for the work of our own local congregation. And Lord, we pray that as we do enter into this new year, that your benediction would rest upon every activity of uh, this church, every gospel ministry. We pray that in the various ways that the word of God is proclaimed, that uh, it would uh, 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 take root in our lives and bear abundant fruit. Uh, Lord, we pray in this coming year for covenant children, that as they hear the good word of truth, Lord, that they would themselves would come to embrace Jesus Christ and live for the glory of the Savior. Uh, and remember their creator in the days of their youth. Uh, Lord, we pray for, um, uh, for people that are struggling in various ways. Maybe it's uh, family struggles or sorrows or suffering that they're undergoing. Lord, our God, we pray that you would comfort them with the comfort that comes only from the Holy Spirit. We pray as well, O Lord, our God, for... Um, uh, for those who are in need, we pray that they would find in this coming year that their God is supplying for all their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We pray, uh, Lord, for those who are sick, that you would make them well. Uh, we do continue to pray, especially for our dear sister, Pat Murray, in this uh, time when she's been in the hospital a couple of times in the last two weeks and uh, is in a weak condition. Oh, Lord, our God, would you bring healing to her, we pray, and might she know the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, in her life. Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, friends and family members that we know and perhaps have been praying for for many years who do not know you. Would you bring them to saving faith? Might this even be uh, the time, the, the, the year, this coming year, the year of their salvation, we pray. We pray, O oh Lord, for the uh, community in which we live here in West uh, Springfield, in the surrounding region, Lord, would, uh, <coughs> would that more people would come to know Jesus Christ in this region. Please do this, we pray. Oh God in heaven, speak to us uh, tonight through the preaching of your word. Uh, uh, Lord, uh, cause us, cause our faith to grow in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we look to you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll now take up our evening uh, offering. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 9. And I just thought uh, to reorient us to the book of uh, 1 Kings. We've been away from it for about, uh, about a month. <clears throat> just to remind us that this book, uh, 1 Kings, 1 and 2 Kings, was originally one book, was written uh, for Israel in exile after they had experienced uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And it seeks to answer the question, what about the promises of God? Given the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, what about those promises that God made to David? What about the promises that he would have a son that would continue to sit on the throne of Israel? What about the promise of 
the temple and God's presence with his people. So uh, we're still in the first part of 1 Kings, which I think includes verses uh, chapters 1 through 10. Chapters 1 through 10. And uh, chapters 1 through 10 of 1 Kings um, seek to demonstrate through the, the story of the rise of Solomon and God's blessings upon Solomon, God's faithfulness to his promises to Israel, his responsiveness to their prayers, and his blessings on his obedient king, Solomon. And so uh, Israel needs a king. You and I need a king. You remember that in Judges, the book of Judges ended with these words. In those days, everyone did what was right in their eyes. There was no king in Israel. And so King David and King Solomon were raised up. And uh, uh, the book of First Kings uh, tells the way in which, uh, after the reign of David, the long reign of David, Solomon is raised up. God blesses uh, his people through the reign of Solomon as he is, uh, at this time in his life, still living in obedience to the Lord. So with that, by way of introduction, let's uh, look together at uh, 1 Kings chapter 9. We're going to read the whole chapter. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me, and I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus? to this land and to this house. Then they will say, because they have abandoned the Lord their God, who brought them their fathers out of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years, in which Solomon had built the two houses the house of the Lord, and the king's house. And Hiram, king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold. As much as he desired, King Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, they did not please him. Therefore he said, what kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? And so they are called the land of Kabul to this day. Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. And this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house and the Milo and the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, and Megiddo in Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire. 
and he had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And so Solomon rebuilt Gezer and lower Beth Haran and Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness in the land of Judah and all the store cities that Solomon had and the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. And all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not of the people of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction, these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers, they were his officials, his commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who had charge of the people who carried on the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Milo. Three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. And King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and brought from there gold, 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks to you that um, in your good purposes you provided uh, David and Solomon to be kings over your people in the days in which they lived. We thank you for the great blessings you bestowed upon your people at that time and for the joy and the happiness they experienced at that time. Our Father, we do pray that as we look together at Solomon's, uh, the blessings that you bestowed upon him and the choice that lay before him now that he is at the peak of his glory, that you would remind us as well of those lessons that we also need to learn. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So uh, King Solomon uh, is, uh, has gone through in chapters 5 through 7. We have seen that the uh, preparations for the building of the temple has occurred. In chapter 8 of uh, 1 Kings, the Ark of the Covenant is brought to its final resting place under the wings of the cherubim in the most holy place. And there is a dedication ceremony that has taken place in which we covered last time in chapter 8, and uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication uh, is in that chapter, as well as his benediction on the people. And the theme is beautifully summarized at the end of chapter 8, and I invite you to look at that uh, the verse at the end of chapter 8, verse 66. On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went to their homes, joyful and glad of heart, for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. The theme and the, uh, the thing that the, re- the writer wants you to, to take away is that the people of Israel were filled with joy. They blessed their king because of the goodness of God to Israel through his king, uh, uh, David, and uh, Solomon. And the people of God rejoiced at, in 
the fact that King David uh, reigned uh, with a heart that was desiring to be obedient to God, though he was not perfect in that. Uh, nevertheless, uh, he had a heart after God. And King Solomon, so far in his reign, uh, has shown that same heart for God, his love for the Lord, and his desire for wisdom above all uh, earthly glory or fame, and the Lord's blessing upon Solomon. And so uh, in chapter 9 that we have just read, what we see, basically, uh, there are two parts to this chapter. Uh, the, the first part is the description of the appearance of the Lord to Solomon, in which the Lord places before Solomon a solemn choice and the obligation for Solomon to continue to guard his heart and live in obedience to the Lord. And the second part is a description from verses 10 to the end of the chapter of the various facets or aspects of Solomon's work. Solomon's other acts is the heading that the ESV gives to this section. And it covers a multitude of Solomon's work in aspects of Solomon's work in the kingdom. For example, his relationship with Hiram and Hiram's dissatisfaction with the cities that Solomon had given to him. Uh, it also deals with the, in verses 15 through 19, with the account of the forced labor that Solomon drafted and the building projects that he did in the cities around Judah and the building up of those places where he would keep his horses and chariots. We can't help but be reminded of the fact that uh, the book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 17 warns that when the king of Israel comes that he is not to have great many horses and chariots. Uh, and uh, Solomon here um, is, is spoken of as having cities that he built in order to house his chariots and his horsemen. And uh, all that Solomon built, his building projects, the labor that he used. And the, and the writer is careful to make sure that the reader understands that Solomon did not enslave the people of Israel. But he enslaved those who were foreigners who had not yet been driven from the land uh, to serve in, in uh, hard labor throughout the, pro the, the building projects that he did. And so... Uh, we're told in the last part of this chapter as well of the settlement of uh, Pharaoh's daughter in her own home that Solomon had built for her. Again, a little bit of unease uh, as we read that, as we're reminded that, um, that the kings of Israel were warned against having multiple wives and marrying the daughters of foreign uh, foreigners. And so... But yet Solomon's wife, uh, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, goes to her uh, place that Solomon had prepared for her. And then the, uh, we're also told uh, in verses 25 of the regular observance of the feasts, of the worship at the temple, the feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, uh, Solomon leading in the offering of religious worship at the temple. And then in the final part of that second section, we're told about uh, Solomon's uh, uh, seafaring and uh, the, the ships that he had built and the, the trade that went on with foreign nations and uh, Hiram's uh, servants uh, joining Solomon in that endeavor and the gold that was brought back to Israel enriching the kingdom of Solomon. And so we have the picture here of a very busy king and a very wealthy and blessed kingdom, and many, many uh, endeavors that Solomon uh, is engaged in, the Lord is blessing him through it all. And uh, my, uh, my purpose tonight is to have us focus primarily on the first part of chapter 9, which is the appearance of the Lord to Solomon in a vision. This is the second vision uh, in which the Lord uh, appears to him a second time at Gibeon and uh, warning Solomon uh, of his need to uh, be 
one who continues uh, to follow him and to walk before him. Verse 4, And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And then in verse 6, but if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, that uh, you... Uh, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name, and I will cast out of my sight, and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And so we have uh, uh, the the Lord speaking to Solomon and solemnly uh, uh, telling him to continue to walk in faithfulness with his, uh, to his word. And in Deuteronomy, uh, it might be helpful to uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 17 and the words that God had given to, uh, through Moses to Israel. Deuteronomy 17, uh, beginning at verse 15, um, when God says that um, when I set a, a king over um, over you, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. Uh, you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall not, never return that way again." And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing him, doing them, that, that, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So the Lord's instruction to Solomon was that he was to write for himself a copy of the law, and he was to meditate on it, and he was to keep it before him at all times, and to be careful not to turn aside from the commandments either to the right or to the left. And here Solomon is, the Lord having appeared to him at the beginning of his reign, and uh, God, uh, he, Solomon asking for wisdom and God granting it to him. And now at the peak of his reign, busy, involved in the work of the kingdom, the Lord appears to him again a second time, urging him to pay attention to continue to walk in his ways. And so I'd like to cover this uh, subject with this uh, in mind. And this is the main teaching, I think, of this section When we have experienced the goodness of God, we, especially at those times, need to take care to keep our hearts and walk with God. When we experience the goodness of God, it is especially at that time that we need to take care to keep our hearts and to walk with God. And I'd like to consider this teaching under three headings. First, we should never trust in past blessings. Never trust in past blessings, but day after day, 
be converted. Day after day, pray that we might walk with the Lord. That's the first thing. Secondly, to do that, we need to guard our hearts. I'm going to share with you a few thoughts when we get to that point by a Puritan by the name of John Flavel. And you remember that name because we used it. We used John Flavel's uh, work on the mediation of Christ, the glory of uh, Christ's mediation in the Advent uh, sermons that Pastor Rob and I preach. But John Flavel also wrote a book called The Touchstone of Sincerity. Or the subtitle to that is called Keeping the Heart. And as I was reading this chapter, I thought, well, I'm going to check and see what John Flavel has to say about this. And so I'm in, under that heading, under the second point, I want to share with you a few things that he had to say about keeping or guarding the heart. And then the third thing I want us to see tonight is that Jesus is God's true and final king. Jesus is God's true and final king. So the first thing is this, is that we as God's people um, need to be careful, especially at times of great blessing, when we know the goodness of God in a very real and personal way, uh, that we never put our trust or our confidence in those past blessings, but that every day we get up, we are converted again. That every day we set our heart to follow after Jesus Christ, and uh, that we would continue to follow Jesus day by day, moment by moment. We're not yet arrived at our final destination. And this side of glory, we can never stop. We can never stop day by day choosing to follow Christ. And I want to urge you to continue to make that choice. The Apostle Paul expressed this most beautifully, and I had someone remind me of this passage for my own, uh, as, as I felt like I was in need of being reminded of this as well. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and following. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Notice the, the linkage there. Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's not a reason to not press. Paul says, I press on because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this, this need to uh, be careful to continually follow after Jesus, to love the Lord every day. To love the Lord with your whole heart and with your soul and your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Philip Ryken makes this point about Solomon at this time in his life. Solomon, he, he, Ryken says, was a total success. He was a man who had accomplished everything he wanted in life and he received all kinds of accolades. He was the kind of man who was the captain of his football team who married the homecoming queen and turned a small business into a major corporation and was elected to public office and won the Nobel Prize for the poetry he wrote in his spare time. Solomon was a man hugely, hugely gifted by God. Absolutely gifted by God with great wisdom. And uh, we're going to see next chapter how the nations benefited from the wisdom that God gave to him. And he was at the peak of his success. But it is at these times that Solomon is now, he is now reminded by the Lord to choose to follow and to be careful to follow those commandments and statutes that he had copied for himself, the law that he was to 
be obedient to, to serve the Lord with his whole heart, reminding us again of those words of Joshua to Israel, uh, where Joshua says, Therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May it be your resolve and mine this day to serve the Lord exclusively with our whole heart. The second thing I'd like for us to note about this passage is that to do this We need to keep our heart, to guard our heart. Adam was put in the garden, and one of the things that he was to do was to stand guard. And he didn't stand guard very well. But the heart is that over which you and I are called to stand guard. Our own hearts, not the hearts of others, but our own hearts. The Lord sets before Solomon the need for him to do that. And he sets before Solomon both great blessings if he is obedient and curses if he is disobedient. There is great blessing in walking with the Lord. And there is great misery if we turn aside from the Lord. And these words are described to us, especially the misery that is described in verses 8 and 9 when foreigners will will uh, be astonished and will hiss. They will say, you know, why, why has the Lord done this? And get, uh, understand that this is part of the very real purpose, apologetic purpose of, of the book of 1 Kings. Why has the Lord done this? What is, why is Israel in this condition? And foreigners themselves will come to the conclusion that it is because they abandoned the Lord their God and brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster upon them. So there is great misery. There is huge misery in departing from the Lord and worshipping and serving other gods. Not only temporal misery in this life, but eternal misery in hell itself. So the Lord sets before Solomon this this, uh, choice, the need for him to have integrity of heart and to follow after him and to guard his heart. And that is the place where we start. In chapter 8, verse 61 of 1 Kings, Let your heart, therefore, Solomon says this to the people of Israel, Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments. And then in nine, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 4, If you walk before me, the Lord says to Solomon, as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, then I will bless you. And then Proverbs, uh, Solomon wrote this proverb, it found in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Keep your heart, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart, that inner core, that the center of human personality, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, from the heart, flow the springs of life. This does not mean, in essence, that we are to save ourselves by keeping our hearts. It doesn't imply that we even have the ability to keep our hearts. But the duty to do so is nevertheless set before Solomon and set before us as well, even though it is God who will help us to do it. John Flavel, uh, and this is a point I wanted to share with you, some thoughts from Flavel. He says, to keep the heart is to diligently use all the means God has given to do two things. To guard our hearts from the entrance of sin and to keep our hearts in a state of sweet and free 
communion and fellowship with God. Let's say that again. To keep the heart is to diligently use all of the means God has given to do two things. To guard our hearts from the entrance of sin and to keep our hearts in a state of sweet and free communion and fellowship with God. And uh, Flavel goes on to say that this requires us to do four things. And the first of the four things that he says that it requires is that we need to observe or examine the state of our heart. We need to frequently observe and examine the state of our heart. Asking how things stand with your heart and God. If you have a friend, and a friend who is a true friend, they may ask you from time to time, how are things between you and the Lord? What is the state of your relationship with the Lord? That's a real friend. And so the first thing that we're called to do is to ask ourselves this question, what is the state of my heart before God? Is it cold? Is it unfeeling? Is it in a state of apathy? John Flavel observes, it is a hard thing to bring a man and himself together. I did a double take when I read that. It is a hard thing to bring a man and himself together. And by that he means it is hard to get a man or a woman, it's hard to get a person to sit down with and examine and question himself. We remain strangers to our own hearts. It's with great difficulty and only with the intention and resolve to sit down with ourselves and ask ourselves those kinds of questions. What is the state of my heart? That we do sit down as one friend to another only with our own hearts and ask, what is the state of my heart? The heart can never be kept until it is examined and understood. Am I cold? Am I unfeeling? Is my relationship with the Lord warm? Do I, do I feel that in my heart there is true love for God? Flavel goes on to say, secondly, watch closely and observe the beginning of sin in the heart. So the four things that we need to do to keep our hearts. First, frequently observe and examine the state of your heart. Secondly, watch closely and observe the beginning of sin in the heart. Watch closely and observe the beginning of sin in the heart. And shut it down at the beginning. If I feel myself stirred to be angry, we need to ask ourselves why. But importantly, we need to notice it. We need to notice it before it gains a power. I want to say this about sin. And it's true in every, in every sin that we wrestle with. There's that moment when it has its initial entrance, when we first notice it. And if we let it gain power, if we don't put it to death immediately, it gains a power. Sin has power. And the more it is allowed, the more power it gains. Have you ever noticed that when you're angry, that you tend to get angrier? I do. I just let that thing go a little farther. And especially if I give vent to it, I will become increasingly angry. And it gains a power. Same thing with uh, lust. 
sexual temptation and lust, where does it appear? And do we shut it down at the very beginning? And do we put it to death before it gains power? Same thing with anxiety and fear. Anxiety and fear feeds on itself. Have you ever noticed that? I become more anxious the more I think about how anxious I am. And the allowing of that to increase or to stay and not, not putting it down in the very beginning, then it begins to gain a power. And John Flavel makes this point. He says, to do this, to guard the heart at the, be- the beginning of sin in the heart, is to walk in the fear of the Lord. Why do we do that? It's because we walk in the fear of the Lord. This is is what it means to keep the heart. We must, Flavel says, we must feed with fear, rejoice with fear, and pass the whole of our sojourning here in fear, in fear of the Lord, in fear of allowing sin to gain control over us. The third thing he says is that we should sorrow over the sins of the heart that are seen by God as much as we would sorrow over those sins that are more outward and observable by men. And this, I think, is a real challenge to us as well, and it's a test of our true sincerity. Do I grieve over the sins that are not seen by men but are seen by God, my anxiety, my sexual lust, my anger, whatever it may be, do I grieve about the first entrance of it into my heart? And how often a Christian needs to cry out to God, oh, and, and don't you find that this is the case for you, I do for myself, oh, what a heart I have. Oh, what a heart I have. I any of us, if we're, our hearts were visible to the world, what would, what, would, what would happen to us? But God sees our hearts. And oh, what a heart, what a, a, a sinful heart we have. We know that the heart is a place where sin begins. And we lament and we grieve for the sins of our heart, our pride, our lust, our greed our coldness to God, and our coldness to other people. John Flavel comments, O reader, all that I beg for is but this, that you would step aside a little oftener to talk with God in thine own heart, and that you would not suffer every trifle to divert thee, and that thou wouldst be seriously, that, that, that thou wouldst but seriously demand of thine own heart, at least every evening, O oh my heart, where have you been today? That we would not let every trifle divert, divert us. Boy, um, don't we, aren't we diverted constantly? The great, the, our greatest struggle in the, in the age of the internet and social media is constant. Diversion. And uh, Flavel here pleads with us, Lord, uh, he says, uh, a reader, he says, uh, if you would step aside a little oftener to talk with God in thine own heart, and that thou wouldst not suffer every trifle to divert thee, but that thou wouldst but seriously demand of thine own heart at least every evening, O my heart, where have you been today? And then thirdly, and more briefly, given the instability of our own hearts, and given the fact that this warning coming from God comes to Solomon at the very peak of his success, and we know what is coming in chapter 11, it is just so very important as we know that we have need of a king. And we have need of a king that is obedient to God. 
and loves the Lord solely. It is just so very important for us to know that Jesus is the greater than Solomon. That it is Jesus who is Israel's true and final, wisest and most prosperous king. And that it is Jesus who has, is the one who was promised to be born of David's loins. And Solomon was in many ways a figure and a type of the one who was to come from him. But in the matter of obedience, Solomon's heart did not remain true. And where Solomon re- failed utterly, the Lord Jesus Christ won the greatest victory for you and for me. He did it for you and for me. He unfailingly kept his heart from the very first entrance of sin. And he unfailingly kept his heart in fellowship with his father. His heart alone is perfect. His heart alone lived in perfect alignment with the will of his father. And his obedience alone, from its very motivating inception to its end, is that obedience which wins salvation for all who trust in him. He came into this world of fickle-hearted men and women like you and me. And for you and for me, he remained constant. For you and for me, he never wandered. He was never led into sin. And for you and for me, he obediently went to the cross and bore the curse that you and I deserve. Aren't you glad that we have such a king? The spirit, Paul tells us, the spirit bears witness with us in our spirit that we are the children of God. But how could we know that we are the children of God given the state of our own hearts? Given all the hearts that we have, how could we possibly have assurance before God How could we know that we are fellow heirs with Christ if we were in any way dependent upon the constancy of our own hearts? There would be no joy and there would be no peace. And that is why it is so absolutely crucial and and important that in the matter of assurance, it rests in the one who is other than you and me. It rests in the one who is the perfect God-man. It rests in him and him alone. And as we were exhorted in Romans chapter 10 this evening, all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord will be saved. It is not that we are ever going to be perfect in keeping our hearts, but he was, and we are secure and held fast by him. I want to close with just this uh, quote from 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 23. The Apostle John writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Boy, doesn't that address the issue? How is my heart to be reassured before him? For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And then that makes you just pause and say, what do you mean? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And here's what John says next. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. There you have it. This is the commandment that you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Solomon is here told to keep his heart. 
Because we also need to do this. We engage in constant heart-keeping. But our trust is in the one who kept his heart in our place. Not in our own, but in Christ alone. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ to be our prophet, to be our priest, and to be our king. We thank you, O Lord, that he is infinitely wiser than Solomon. We thank you, O Lord, that he loved us with an everlasting love and went to the cross to, as a priest, offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. We thank you, O God, that he ascended to the throne of David, having been raised from the dead, and that there he sits in regal glory, ruling over the Israel of God. And Lord God, we do pray that we might love him, that you would grant to us greater love, and that we would have greater faith, and that he might become our all in all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to look in my phone, my bulletin. 188. Is it 188? Yes. Thank you. Hymn number 188. Let's stand together and sing.